0: So the vision of empower is to create a world where every individual is empowered to constantly grow. Um and that's obviously a very, very broad vision. Mm-hmm. Um has nothing to do with the what the company is doing, it has nothing to do with how the company is doing it, it has only to do with why we're doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um and basically if you look at a consulting business, it's not very scalable. So, you can only scale through the people you hire. But if you want to create a world where every individual is enabled to constantly grow, you have to find a way to do that.
1: Well, hello, hello. It's DeAndre here, and this is The Pioneer Show. The show where we talk with innovators, makers, entrepreneurs, basically people who are trailing their own trails and creating their own lives, so that we all can learn how to work on our own lives. This is episode 13, and I'm your host, Andre Dialquer. You can find me at It's DeAndre on Instagram and on Twitter as well, as well as the show at Pioneer's Show on Instagram. In this week's episode, we have with us Nicholas Taiken, the co founder and COO of this incredible disruptive health startup, Dr. Lee. This has been one of my favorite conversations so far. I truly learned a lot about personal development, something that I share a passion for with Nicholas, venture building, and having a greater vision for a company. We go over the idea of a holacracy. Don't worry, you'll have a chance to hear what it is Empower and, and other ventures that Nicholas helped create. So, strip on and enjoy the conversation with Nicholas Dyke. Well, hello, Nicholas. How are you?
0: Very good.
1: Thank you. Oh, no. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I, it's very hot today in Berlin. Welcome to the Pioneer Show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Ah, pleasure to have you here. So, for people at home who
0: don't know who you are, care to give us a two minute pitch about yourself? Sure thing. Uh, my name is uh, Nicholas Teike. Um, I am currently one of the co-founders of Doctorly. Previously, I founded a Salesforce consultancy called Empower, which is currently active in five different countries in Europe with over 50 consultants, um, working with a very interesting uh, organizational model called Holacracy. Um, and other than that, I'm uh, very much driven by challenges and uh, possibility to grow myself so pushing myself into uncomfortable situations to uh, enhance personal development interesting
1: let's take it from that part of personal development because i'm very i'm very personal development freak i like to think about how processes work how can i do automation on myself what books i can read so was it always a passion of yours to be passionate once again about personal development
0: I think it's something that you learn throughout your career or throughout your general life. Um, in the beginning you're not aware of it, mm-hmm. but the only way for you to be truly motivated is by development. Um, so if you are stuck in a situation where nothing around you moves, is it a job or, or a relationship or whatever, and things don't move, they're dead. Like a shark. <laughs> I mean, not sure about the shark thing, but basically uh, what I think is uh, you function like an organism. If there is no tensions, there is no movement, it's a dead organism. And the only way to stay sharp on that is by focusing on your own personal development. The best way to do it is by putting yourself into uncomfortable situations, moving out of your comfort zone, um, and then enhance your skills. So when you focus on your personal development, like you said, you
1: just try to focus more on putting yourself through uncomfortable positions that make you try to evolve and adapt so you can also learn? Is that work?
0: I mean, that kind of is the ultimate result coming Mm -hmm. out of it. So uh, forcing yourself into a position where you've never been in before, uh, is it pitching to a a VC or is it speaking in front of a hundred or a thousand people? Um, you come out stronger and in the beginning you're shit scared of it, mm-hmm. um, but then you've done it, you get used to it and it becomes a normal thing. And next time you'll be stronger and then you look for the next challenge. Oh, that's very cool, I, I, I can
1: share with you something that a lot of people in Portugal know about me. When I was in college I used to say that I was going to rule the world. All right. and the, the plan has always been and I've had this conversation with several people that I know I'm not going to rule the world but I don't want to feel like I made it eventually and, and feel like I've done everything I want to feel like I'm always lacking and I'm going to die unsatisfied because I didn't achieve my goal but I've always strived to achieve
0: it so that's why I always try to work on the personal development no I mean that's a, that's a super interesting aspect because for me I think I, uh, I kind of define it the other way around Mm-hmm. Like my ultimate goal is to die happy, die satisfied. That's all you can wish for. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're known, if, if you're mm-hmm. like a nobody, as long as you are satisfied, you're there. And that's really what it's all about. Um, okay. and yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I like your, your definition better, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, and this is uh, one of the things that I've, I've defined a couple of years ago for myself. Showing people how to find this kind of satisfaction is one of the things that motivates me quite a lot.
1: And how have you been working on that specific area? Is there any project, anything anything that you started doing on
0: helping people to find or be able to find those things? Absolutely, which is my former business. It's called Empower. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically uh, the constellation of the founding team was very interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was people that grouped around my brother at that point of time, some people from work, some friends, and then me as, as a brother. Um, and We started out trying to found a Salesforce consultancy. So we said, okay, we came from different startups all over Europe together and said, okay, well, Salesforce is such a such a powerful tool that we can use to really scale up businesses. But most of the businesses don't know how to use it. So what we're going to do is we're going to found a consultancy and we're going to show them how to utilize the Force.com platform to really build hyper-growth companies. And then as we started out, we noticed our differences and how, how hollow or how shallow our relationships were, and there was a lot of conflict. And then we looked for ways um, of how we can kind of surpass them. In the beginning, you like literally stand in front of a whiteboard and be like, okay, this is my area, this is your area. You don't get the fuck into my area, and I stay out of yours, and that's it. And it obviously, it's a retarded way of doing it. Um, and then at some point, uh, as uh, my brother sometimes has it, He has like every two weeks he calls and he's like super excited because he read this new book that's going to revolutionize everything. And one of them was called Holacracy. Well, actually, no, it was called um, Reinventing Organizations by uh, Frederic Laloux. And then uh, uh, through that, he came to Holacracy uh, by uh, Ryan Robertson. Found Holacracy. Exactly. And he was like, this is amazing. We really, really, really need to do this. Uh, This is the future of organizations. Um, and basically, just to give you a quick summary, it's it's a system of how you can basically hand over an organization into self-management by its employees. So you get rid of the managers and they just manage themselves. Interesting. Um, and so then there was this opportunity to go to a seminar by Brian Robinson in Amsterdam at the moment. And he was like, hey, we got to go, it's next week. You and I take off a week, we we go there. And uh, I, like in this case, I was kind of like um, intrigued by his uh, enthusiasm, uh, read the book and we went there. And then uh, during the seminar I was like, ah, okay, ah. Ah, well that makes sense. And that, may, oh, that would help us with that. Um, and I really loved it. And uh, coming back from it, uh, I asked the consultancy if they can integrate and I was like 35,000 euros or something. I was like, okay, fuck that, I'm gonna do it myself. <laughs> um and basically, uh, or, yeah, basically, what we then did is we, we laid it out and started creating our own organization in Holacracy, um, which is a very simple uh, concept, really is you have different roles. A mm-hmm. uh, role consists of a purpose, which is the defining goal of a role or the reason why it's there. Uh, you have a name obviously to identify it, and you have accountabilities. And accountabilities tell you what you can expect from a role from the outside. Um, and then you have domains, which is the resources this role controls. Uh, a super simple example, you have a um, business analyst. Um, as the role name. The purpose is understanding customers' businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have the accountability to write, for example, a, a, a process diagram or, or whatever. So things that you can understand. But the really beautiful part about it is, number one, everything is explicit. So there's no insuplic- inexplicity anymore. So I cannot expect anything of you, which I have not communicated before. Okay. And what happens is, obviously, none of these things are perfect. Mm-hmm. But things like tensions arise, and tension is defined as a difference between what is and what should or could be. Um, and then there's a process of how we integrate these tensions. Uh, it's called a governance meeting, where you basically work on the structure of the organization. Every employee is part of it, who is part of of, of a role within that circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they work on their tensions, uh, and they resolve them. And by allowing everybody to process these tensions, everybody sees that they can make a difference in the structure of the entire organization. And that is already something that really engages people. They see they can make a difference, and they see they have something to say. Um, and the second part is you have now an organization which is not governed top-down anymore. Mm-hmm. So you don't have anybody on the, on, the, on, the, on the top saying, okay, well, I see the market is going in that direction, I see our customers repeatedly do this and this and this. You have, all of a sudden, brains everywhere. You have an organism that adapts to whatever the market situation requires because they see it firsthand and they can adapt to it. Um, so basically, you have like a self-optimizing organism um, which is something which is for me super super scary, because what you do is you give away all of your power as a founder.
1: Yeah, you, you I, I, I can, I can assume you almost lose. I, I want say credibility, but you, the, the credibility is not the right word, but almost authority as a founder.
0: Well, authority is an entirely different topic because there's such I, a, I like a authority, natural authority. I, I don't say authority
1: in terms of domain authority. I, I say mm-hmm. literally in, in authority. As in, you lose the power as the
0: founder to say something or to have... Exactly. Say- you, I mean, what you give away is basically you let people do whatever they want and you fully trust them that what they want to do is what's right for the company. But if you treat the people right, mm-hmm. they want to treat the company right. And therefore, it becomes a symbiosis between employees and the company. And you expect them that they can actually work in a way that is responsible with the resources that the company has. And the main thing that you need for it is transparency. So Everything within a company was transparent, everything. So the money we made, the money we spent, the holidays taken, the salary everybody gets, the bonuses everybody gets, if there was anything like a bonus, Mm -hmm. which actually we got rid of. Um, uh, Everything that we have is transparent there. That, that,
1: that's for me it's fascinating and this is actually something that I was not expecting to talk about. but there's a few businesses outside and the one that comes to mind right away for example is Buffer mm-hmm. Buffer is a company that everything they do it's very transparent in terms of pricing mm-hmm. so they have this awesome plan and it's 12 years and a half and they clearly chunk it down through out of, out of these 12 years 7 is for salaries 4 is for product blah, 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 blah. and I my question is As a founder, but at the same time as a a worker in a specific company, how hard is it for you to be fully transparent, for example, in a salary where some people might say that as a founder you might be able to get some more one month, more another month, less another month. How do you deal with said transparency if there's some
0: things that you should? Yeah, Um, with a salary in particular, I think you should always be transparent because people know, they know one way or another. I mean, even if it says in a contract that they're not allowed to talk about it, Mm -hmm. people always do. And if it's inexplicit, they can't talk about it. So if you're trying to keep it a secret, mm-hmm. people will talk behind the back. And then they can't formulate their frustrations. And then just builds up. And therefore, put it out there. Just be super transparent with your, with your salary structures. Um, because if they are unfair, you shouldn't have them. And then if they're not unfair, you shouldn't need to hide them. So for me, this is, obviously, the law sees it a little bit different, because mm-hmm. um, it is a private thing. Um, therefore, you need the uh, basically the approval of your employees to do that. But uh, for me, that's the only way to really do it because otherwise, you just build up frustration.
1: Is there any any other case of, of companies doing the holocracy method nowadays that are successful in?
0: I mean, I think the biggest example that there is is Zappos. Zappos, the um, exactly Tony Heisch, I think Exa- that's, uh, delivering it, happiness. The, the, exactly. It's what's his name again? Tony Shea. Tony Shea. exactly. Exactly. Tony Shea is his name. Yeah, and he was, uh, that that was quite interesting because I talked to Brian Robinson about him. um, And basically what he said was he was looking at how to scale businesses without the marginal employee. So basically the marginal employee is if you grow a company to a certain size, every additional employee makes the entire company and everybody within the company more and more productive until you reach the marginal employee. The marginal employee is basically the tipping point where now processes uh, and and friction between the people have tipped so every additional employee now reduces the overall productivity or the average productivity of of the people because there's too much bureaucracy in between. And so the really interesting thing is if you look at a city, it's the other way around. So a city at a certain size um, every additional uh, inhabitant makes the average inhabitant more productive. And he was looking for a reason why that is. And the reason he found is because within a city, people are self-managed. Nobody has to tell you that you have to go shopping. Nobody has to tell you that you have to go open a bank account. Nobody has to tell you that you need to go to the beach every once in a while uh, take some time off because you know these things. And therefore, you can structure your time a lot more efficient. So what he was trying to find is an organizational structure that would allow him to make a company more like a city. And Holacracy is the one that he went with. So Zappos is one example. Do you know any other example that? Um, another one would be, for example, dwarfs and Giants in Austria. I don't know them, but... Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. And then uh, you would have, um, I think that Soul Bottles here in Berlin is also on mm-hmm. Holacracy. Um, there's a couple and it's spreading more and more. So some... Some larger corporations uh, are embracing holacracy in some of their departments, for example. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to name any names because some of them are being consulted yeah, as well. it's better not to, to mention,
1: but okay, I have one question for in terms of holacracy. 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 Holacracy, holacracy. I forgot, I it's, a, it's a weird word for me, holacracy. If you put the power on the workers themselves to care more about the company, doesn't that at one point give it I assume and this is me assuming with not relevant experience working for bigger co- companies or with companies that have this kind of structure but if you have a comp- if someone starts to feel like they need to be more engaged with the company because the company treats them very well and they have their own authority to, to make their own decisions, doesn't that create some kind of how do I say it does that make some people redundant because maybe you got some people as managers to manage other people? Mm-hmm. If they're managing themselves, does that make those jobs or their those roles redundant?
0: It's an interesting question. I think if you're a smart person, you're you'll never be redundant because basically you'll find other ways where you can add value. Um, and therefore, we didn't have any anybody that we need to let go because we introduced holacracy. Quite the opposite, we needed more and more people because now we had structures that allowed us to grow faster. Okay,
1: yeah, that makes sense. I I, I just assume probably in the corporation world where you have probably thousands of people or hundreds of people at, the, at one point.
0: And there are examples of it where, where people are just, okay, now basically my old role profile is redundant. So what am I doing? So how do I start coordinating people? How do I like, How do I get people to do what I want them to do within the system, within these these set of rules that now certainly are like a, a, in a certain way put upon me? Um, and you have people that have big troubles with it.
1: That's a very interesting, very, very interesting. I'll I'll have to read that book, because I think that whenever you talk about organizational ideas, I think that's very important. As not an entrepreneur myself right now, but as someone who one day might aspire to be, I think that's really interesting to know how I can make some kind of organizational structures from the get-go. I don't know if that's possible to go from the beginning of the culture, or if that's something that you implement later.
0: I mean, you can. It's definitely easy if you do it from the beginning, but be prepared. The book is really, really boring. <laughs> it's yeah. It's written by a, I think he's either a lawyer or a programmer, and yeah, so very objective, it's very exactly. It's, it's very A-B-C. correct. It's very, yeah, it's uh, it wasn't it wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> but reinventing organizations—that was a, thats an interesting book. That is a really interesting book um, because it, it it basically holacracy is one of the things they found out within the research for that book so Frédéric went to different organizations and looked at the way they organize themselves and because uh, he says that the, the way organizations are currently structured is they're doomed for failure because your environment has become so agile mm-hmm. that with an organizational structure like the, most of the corporations have at the moment uh, you won't be able to adapt to any change from the outside world so how can we reinvent the way organizations are structured? And that's what he set out to do, and Holacracy was one of the things that he found among other things. So
1: going back more onto Empower. Empower, that's the name of the, the Salesforce consultancy company. Absolutely. Before going there, just one quick step back. Were you already experienced in Salesforce? I assume so because you had the, the nerve to say Salesforce, or I mean, you just don't
0: tell my first customers. But no, you weren't. <laughs> but any other
1: the other founders were. I assume no. No one was experienced in Salesforce. We had
0: uh, we had three people who were. How many were you? When seven you began? founders. Seven founders. And Three people who were, and I had a couple like with a company I worked at before. Um, it's called Zara. I was uh, among the very first employees. Uh, I think actually the first, um, and uh, and at some point I was like, okay, I was supposed to build up a sales team. It was my my first real job worth long term perspective, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, yeah, fine, I'll, I'll do I'll do that. And uh, we didn't have a product, I didn't understand the vision, uh, but it's an entirely different story. <laughs> um, and uh, at some point I was like, okay, well, we need Salesforce force, and uh, Nick, you're just gonna do it, and then uh, like. I sat down, we got Salesforce, and I had a look at it, I didn't understand anything. Then uh, uh, the founder of outfittery uh, who was a friend of, of the founder of Azara, uh, she came in and she was like, okay, I'll show you a couple, couple tweaks. So this is how you can do it here, this is how you can do it there, and this is how you have your standard sales process, and blah, 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 and this is how you can do automations, and I didn't understand any of it. <laughs> <laughs> And then, yeah, as, as I started the company and the sales became more and more of a tool, um, I started using it, but it wasn't, it was like I was not in a position where I knew sales was good enough. To teach it to other people. Bit. So basically, I, I was inspired by the vision of the new company, and I wanted to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and therefore, I was also looking for a change and for a little bit more ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, basically, I learned it on the job. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it's exactly that, putting yourself in uncomfortable positions where you, where you, that, where that, you But uh, that, that must be a very it. uncomfortable
1: position, no? <laughs> Absolutely. To was, be selling that you know nothing, but, but that was actually something very interesting. Uh, my former managing director at Techstars Berlin said that as a consultant, you don't have to know everything, you just have to learn one more page than your client, and you'll be better than them already
0: yeah more or less that's the case I mean if you just like just be honest like sometimes you don't know things It's fine just just to tell them Um, if you're smart if you're if you're up straight if you're if you're an honest and an authentic person people are going to take you like they're gonna take you serious, and then it's very easy to help them because coming from an outside looking into organizations is always you'll always find things that you can improve, and you always find things and, and understand certain processes and and just ask questions, and then usually you'll you'll find answers within them. Um, and yeah, so basically uh, I learned on the job, and then I think three weeks after uh, three months after we started, I was on stage at uh, at uh, ZEBIT. Uh, talking about what we're doing without having any clue. And uh, yeah, it, was, it was quite funny. It was like, it's becoming a little bit of a trend uh, when we start new businesses that I have to do some, some, some stupid stuff at trade fairs. Uh, with Lizara, for example, it was actually, we went to trade fairs trying to buy products without having a website, without having a real concept, without any, like I didn't understand the vision or anything. So basically what we did is we went, uh, we went by from from stall to stall and, and, and showed them a competitor's website and we're like, it's us and, and it's the products you see and yeah. the discounts we give and it's kind of the pricing range that we look for and we need 20% like you know margin, and just really bullshitting our way through it. And then when we got into more more extreme or more more concrete negotiations, it was like, okay, how many going to buy? Uh, and we're like oh, five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then uh, luckily we managed to convince a couple of people to believe in us, um, so that was good. And then uh, for the Zebit, uh, the company at this, st- this stage wasn't called Empower; mm-hmm. it was called Uberforce. Uh, mm. and we were green, and then obviously Uber and Salesforce didn't like that very much. <laughs> so, so eventually we needed to change. You managed it. <laughs> to piss off two big behemoths. Absolutely, we fought of Uber because they were just you know just trying to put it down. But but Salesforce was like, okay, if you guys want to go in a partnership with us, you have to
1: you have to check their name. So, but but for you to be able to be consultant for Salesforce, do you have to have a partnership with Salesforce.
0: Not necessarily, but it's very helpful because. Essentially, what they're gonna do is they sell their product to customers, and then they need somebody to implement that product. And that's and then, what we were
1: doing. You were doing exactly. the implementation. So your your consultancy it's consultancy in the part of
0: implementation. It's is it more is
1: engineering it, focused or?
0: It's, it's definitely implementation. Yes, I mean um, sometimes also optimization or cleanup, uh, but mainly it's implementation. So coming into companies that are at a certain point in time where they really want to scale, where they become more professional. Mm-hmm. Rarely where they just start the company and you just because Salesforce is quite pricey for people who are It starting. is, it is. But and so, uh, usually the way it goes is they start with a cheaper solution or no solution at all. And then want to switch to Salesforce because Salesforce itself is, is very scalable.
1: But it's, it's huge. Uh, one question now that I, I'll put your knowledge of Salesforce to the test, but it, because I don't know personally, in its essence, Salesforce, it's a CRM, right? It's kind of a CRM.
0: That's where it started, definitely. But it's no longer that? I mean, it is. That's still its core functionality, but it can do much more. It's basically an, an, an operations platform for your company. Um, so it can do much more than just a CRM. Um, just maybe to give you an overview of the, of the process of what we do with... Uh, with the Salesforce that we've implemented in Empower is obviously we have the standard lead process, the accounts, opportunities. We have a casing system for complaints. <clears throat> we have um, our projects are completely on there. Our time tracking is completely on there. We generate our invoices completely out of that automatically. So it's a managed business all-in-one solution. More or less, you can build into that, and then we build our own uh, in like in-house Airbnb on it. For example, where people can within the company put their flats in there. If somebody wants to visit another city, they can crash at theirs, or when they go away, they can put it to available, and then people will get notified if they want to be in touch with that. That's incredible. Super easy, man.
1: <laughs> and how is it to manage? And this is a step to the side, but how hard is it to manage a, com- a distributed team? Is it all in Europe? Yes. How how hard is it to manage a distributed team as a founder? A team of six, seven founders? Seven founders. So.
0: Seven founders, of which uh, four have worked operationally. So three of them um, merged away from Empower very quickly, okay. and I'll gladly tell you about the vision of Empower and the ecosystem of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they focus more on the ecosystem, um, and uh, four of us were operating operationally. In the beginning it was not super simple, but then it's it's all about engagement. So if people are abroad and engaged, mm-hmm. no problem. Um, you will have difficulties in terms of culture. Maintaining a culture in a foreign location mm-hmm. um, and adopting it to the culture that you've been growing in your home location super difficult. That is a real, real challenge. And was the main team here in Berlin? Yeah. So the company was founded in Berlin. Berlin is still the largest office at the moment, uh, closely followed by the UK, who are doing a tremendous job. Um, but uh, the cultures are from all of the different offices very different.
1: Hmm. So even though you're a doctor, Lee, you're still managing it. Are you still?
0: You're just a shareholder right now operationally I'm completely out I'm advising in certain aspects um, and helping on a couple bigger projects such as for example the ESOP plan that we just rolled out Uh, something I help with and then Sometimes people have specific questions or just want a, a little bit of counseling and then, um, I'll step in.
1: So you're a founder more like a, a board of directors kind of thing, if, you, if there is something, you're, you're there. You're an advisor for the company more than that. Yeah,
0: if you want to put it that way, yes.
1: Yeah, if I had to put a name, but I don't want to, okay, even though I put it, I, do, I don't like putting <laughs> names and that things. Worries, um, and, and focusing on this, because this is actually something that I find interesting in terms of consultancy for things you don't necessarily know. Mm-hmm. or know much about. And you talked about Lazara, the, the previous company you worked at. How taxing is that on your mind? Because I'm, I'm, how taxing is it to know that you're bullshitting your way through something and not calling you a bullshitter, but how do you, how taxing is, is it on your mind when you're doing sales for something that you don't believe in, in case of Lazara, for example, or you don't know enough? for Empower in the beginning? I assume now you're much more prolific in
0: Salesforce. It's super difficult. Uh, It stresses me out, to be honest. Um, If you're in a situation where where you have to convince somebody that you can make it, the best thing that you can do is to convince them of yourself. Like, I'm gonna do anything I can to make sure that what I'm explaining to you is gonna happen. And then obviously the biggest prob- uh, problems that you have is if it's not within your power to make it happen. And that's usually the, the problem that lots of sales guys find themselves in. They promise you the world, but they don't deliver it because there's another team delivering it. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of the frustration also comes from. So um, yeah, usually my uh, my uh, goal is make them believe in yourself and mm-hmm. then try to try to just be very honest and open and transparent about what you're doing. That's the most important part.
1: Okay, I think that's a good idea. And I think, and I hope everybody that's listening also takes into this because I don't think that everybody who's working at a startup or a company or a corporate or whatever, even though a startup is a company. Okay, let's scratch that. <laughs> I believe that everyone who's working, not everybody might believe in the mission and might be cut going through some situations mm-hmm. and knowing that it's taxing, but there's a way of managing it. And going on to an entrepreneurship venture entrepreneurial venture can also be a good solution to start even taking your mind off something that might stress you. If if it stresses you enough that you're not feeling very nice about that situation, do you think that creating something on the side can actually make your mind feel better?
0: I mean, for me, the work that you do at a startup has to be vision driven. If it is not vision-driven, you won't be able to maintain uh, going through a lot of shit. And as an entrepreneur, you have to do a lot of things you don't like. You have to go on a marathon of things that you do not want to do. Um, this very bluntly, uh, HR in the beginning, accounting in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, uh, things that you, that distract you from, from what you want to do, what you set out with the company to do, but they have to get done. If you don't believe in the vision of a the company, mm-hmm. these things are going to tear you down more and more and more and more, and your motivation is going to suffer and people are going to notice. Um, and it's, if you are not motivated, it's super hard to keep the motivation up in your team. Um... And if they don't believe in the vision, then your company's doomed in my, my perspective.
1: Stepping aside from Empower, let's go to the previously named Power. Powerhouse? Powerhouse. Exactly. How did you go from a consultancy business in Salesforce, something very, I assume, technical, mm-hmm. to building a co-working, or to managing a co-working space? I assume that's a very weird turn and a very weird twist in the way you talk.
0: Think. Um, let me let me take two steps back, which is the vision of empower. Okay, um, empower. Um, so the vision of empower is to create a world where every individual is empowered to constantly grow, um, and that's obviously a very very broad vision. Mm-hmm. Um, has nothing to do with the what the company is doing. It has nothing to do with how the company is doing it. It has only to do with why we're doing what we're doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and basically, if you look at a consulting business, it's not very scalable. Um, so you can only scale through the people you hire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can't touch a lot of people's lives. But if you want to create a world where every individual is enabled to constantly grow, you have to find a way to do that. And so we extended the vision into creating a world where every individual is enabled to constantly grow by disrupting the way organizations operate while creating the leaders of tomorrow. So basically, what we do is we now have a school. We have a training camp, which is Consultancy, which is one of the best things you can do because you go from project to project, you go into organization to organization, lots of times in startups, where you get a lot of hands-on knowledge on how to run businesses. On the other hand, We're teaching people through holacracy to self-manage, to be aware. We show and share all of the KPIs. We make them understand why these things are important. Mm -hmm. And then what we do is we allow them to found businesses themselves within the ecosystem of Empower. And that is um, then supported by the people at Empower, by the circle of investors that we've built. And what we needed to be able to be close was a co-working space. I personally was never really involved in the operation side of the co-working space, mm-hmm. more as an advisor than anything else, uh, but it's managed by two other people, which happened to be, to be honest, my sister and my sister-in-law.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, okay one, one step back before we go coming into the co-working space because you touched a point that I was not expecting. In terms of educational part, do you have anything online that people can consume to learn, or is it on the consultancy part that whenever you Hands reach on. a business and oh, that's incredible? So, that's,
0: if someone that's the way you learn, right? Of course, of course. On the job, put yourself in, in a position, position where you have to grow, and then you can help people by supporting them, by letting them feel that you support them in the decisions that they make,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that's the fastest way for you to grow. So it's
1: built on the premise that you'll use Salesforce from now on? Or can, for example, imagine that I want to build my podcasting business. Mm-hmm. Can I hire you guys to make this grow into a hyper-growth company?
0: Well, yeah, we can definitely operationally-wise set you up, yeah. And currently, still based on Salesforce.
1: Of course. But if is the idea that eventually can scale... <laughs> They can
0: scale to other kinds of services? Definitely. So one of the things that I'm 100% convinced of is if Salesforce would be turned off tomorrow, Empower would still be here in 10 years. We don't need Salesforce to survive. Salesforce is what we do. It is not why we do it. And we have uh, organizational structure that is so robust mm-hmm. throughout Holacracy or through Holacracy that uh, we can reorganize very quickly. Because we have a lot of smart brains within the company that can decide upon what's right to do. Well, you just—I
1: I really like that—that that vision. I—I once again, uh, just to give you an idea, and I, I see the podcast myself as some some tool to be able to know people. But it's a learning. I'm doing my own master's degree in, in these conversations, mm-hmm. and I see the podcast as a tool for other people to learn themselves. And I think I, I truly respect and admire people who are doing stuff, even though you're doing. Consultancy is something that helps people learn, either by listening proactively, passively, actively, or by doing stuff, mm-hmm. putting their hands in the business and starting to create something. I truly enjoyed that vision. Congratulations, I think it's a very well thought out vision.
0: Well yeah, I mean, it just came to us.
1: <laughs> uh, totally unrelated, uh, because of consultancy, as soon as you said consultancy, I thought, have you ever seen house flies? No, I have not. You should, it's a very fun House of Lies right? House of Lies with Don Cheadle I think it's over already I think it ended in 2015 It's a Showtime I think it's Showtime series on the bullshit that consultants do
0: Oh yeah holy shit but we're we're a hands-on consultancy we're not a strategic consultancy uh, Yeah they're they're, we're they're, strategic consultancy. they're they're
1: strategic consultants so. <laughs> and it's it's one of those series where you have the fourth wall breakage Yeah So they say now this is what we're going to do and, he, and Don Cheadle basically says something like uh, so whenever you're selling something, first of all, like kiss their ass. You're doing great, you're doing great. Whatever you're doing, keep doing. Now, put up the knife, but you should be doing this because this is happening. Now you confuse them with numbers. Ah, if, you, if your revenue growth goes, blah, 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 the tax revenue, blah, blah. <laughs> and then you say, but this is all we can do. And basically just tell that you can do what they're already doing. It's a very funny, funny, <laughs> It's based oh, on a no, book gotta, also no. called The House of Lies. I think the, I the book is it easier, mm-hmm. but the TV series, I was seeing it a few months ago and I, I really like it a lot. So going back to the interview, um, focusing more on Dr. Lee now. Yeah. Let's now pitch Dr. Lee to the to the listeners of The Pioneer Show.
0: All right. Well, basically the way we set out was in the beginning, I knew that I didn't want to consult uh, for a very long time anymore because of the good... You always get into a position where you go to a client and you say, hey, so we can do this, and we can do this, and we can do this, and this, and this, and that'll be so cool. And then it'd be like, oh, I love it. And then, but we have to cut this, and this, and this, and this, and this, because we don't have a budget for it. <laughs> um, and then, okay, then you basically implement that, and then the ideas that you have cannot always be integrated the way you want. Sometimes you have like people who are resistant to consultants or consulting. So he was like, I've done this literally a hundred times. You should do it this way because later on it's going to kick you in the ass. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were like, no, we should do it that way. So I knew that I wanted to build a product again, and I wanted to build something which has the potential to become huge, um, to really touch a lot of people's lives. Um, So what happened is um, that I got to know through another company that is within the Empower ecosystem, it's WeFox. Mm -hmm and uh, One Insurance. Um, I got to meet with uh, one of my now co-founders, Samir Lalavi. Um and we uh, talked about potentially building a business together, and then um, we were introduced to a brain surgeon um, and his wife, which uh, he was very sick of, of having patients coming in, not knowing anything about their own health. Um, so at some point he was very close to Operating a kidney, which was already gone, and he was like, "How mm-hmm. the like, how the fuck could this person not know that?" <laughs> so, his idea was to build um, uh, basically a digital um, medical record for patients mm-hmm. to give it into their own hands. And then what we did is we looked at the market, and I mean, for for from a consumer perspective, it's super simple. You have instant services, you have digitalized services in almost every key industry. So insurance, banking, food, uh, travel, Mm -hmm. clothes, all of that you can do digitally. In Germany and most of the other European countries, if you go to a doctor's, you walk out with five papers in your hand. Always. Absolutely. So. Then we started looking at, okay, well, who is in that space, and we looked at the chatbots that are out there, we looked at the scheduling tools that are out there, we looked at the uh, the, the health trackers that are out there, at the health apps that are out there, um, and we noticed that from a consumer perspective, it's all quite a, kind of hel- uh, hollow, you know, it's just oh, shallow, shallow is the right word. Um, it's, it's never going really deep on where you want to go. And then basically, this is where, where Achiko, our brain surgeon, came in and he was like, he metaphorically turned, or actually, not metaphorically, he actually turned the the screen in the treatment room around. I was like, "That's the shit we have to deal with," um, and it's terrible. The systems that our health industry runs on were to ninety-five percent designed in the early nineties and have not very much improved since then. So integration with them very difficult. Communication between them super difficult. Um, user flows, absolutely horrible. Um, so that's when we basically knew is before we can do anything cool for a patient, mm-hmm. we have to help the doctor first. So this is why we're now building basically practice management software that allows doctors- Practice to, management software. Exactly, that allows doctors to schedule their patients, allows them to capture the digital, uh, to capture the, the, the treatment, the documentation of what they're doing Um, it allows them to do their billing uh, allows them to analyze the the practice itself the performance of the practice the the demographics of their patients Um, and then on top of that we're building a a patient app which allows me now to not only obviously digitally book and and, 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 uh, have the integration but I can now basically share and enrich my health record with my doctor and vice versa he can send me data about my own health record so, what diagnosis I have, what medication I should take. Um. And can you have
1: previously exams, for example, MRIs, x-rays, everything everything onto that?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, an, an x-ray or a doctor's letter or whatever you have, you can take a picture of it. If you have the real file, you can drop it in and then share it with your doctor on a limited time basis or with a new doctor that has a system or with, uh, with a new doctor that you want to have a look at before, for example, you get the referral. Mm-hmm and uh, then afterwards withdraw all his access rights. These are things you can do. That's
1: very smart. That's, I think that's something that's missing, at least since I moved to Berlin, but also when I was in Paris, I felt that a lot, is that it's very hard to digitally do stuff in the health space. In Portugal, I, since I had a private, private health insurance and was always at the same doctor, everyone had the same access because it was internal. And I, everything that I've ever done in Portugal, ever done in Portugal, unless was when I ruptured a, a ligament, yeah, and I went to the public hospital because that's where the ambulance took me. It was always on the same place, so everyone had my records. Yeah, okay. But in Berlin, and it's very much distributed. We move around a lot. Yeah. We go to different cities. We go to different places. Yeah, and and that. But is the idea to create like a holistic health record for both doctor? and patient procedures
0: and relationships? Basically, we make it easier for you guys to communicate with each other. That's as simple as that. So, for example,
1: if I move tomorrow to London, mm-hmm. in theory, in theory, if you go in, if you have doctorly there implemented in several health facilities, mm-hmm. I can just go, yeah, my bank, my doctorly account is or something like that, slash doctorly123. And they just... Well,
0: basically, what you're going to do is you're going to make your appointment through the app, and then they already know the. Oh, okay. Ready. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Then that's all you do is then select the documentation that you want to share with them. There you go.
1: Oh, that's ridiculously smart. I really like that a lot. Oh, I'm right. glad you do. Are you? Are, are you already? Are you already in, doing pilots? Are you already have? Do you already have clients? So basically,
0: where we are at the moment is we're in because it's a, obviously it's a regulated product. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are in. It's the, right tech. Again? Reg tech almost. It's regulatory. Ah, I didn't even know that term. Yeah, uh, it's reg tech. <laughs> I'm going to use that.
1: <laughs> it, it's a fancy way of saying it. Whenever someone asks you, uh, even investors, it's a reg tech, health
0: startup. It's you, you get some buzzwords, but good things. Like, onto the conversation. <laughs> that was cool. Um, so, uh, we are in the process of getting it uh, approved by the government. Mm-hmm. That's where we are the, uh, at the moment. We have about seven uh, innovation practices, as we call them, who are practices that uh, are accompanying us on the, along the way. Mm-hmm. So they do tests with us. They look at the designs. They look at process flow. They explain us how certain things are working, who are ready to switch over to our system. Mm-hmm. So basically, we do a pilot run with them before we officially launch, um, just to make sure that, I mean, building a product, there's going to be bugs. Of so course. not any crucial bugs before we go live. Um, and uh, then uh, current plan is to uh, start very early next year
1: but is it the idea it, I assume that the idea is to first start in Germany yes and is it very localized it, does the regulation change a lot between cities
0: well between cities not at all it's only countries exactly countries yes and then in countries only the billing side how do you bill the patient what process do you go through what do you mean is it, uh, is it health insurance side is it Customers the health of. insurance size goes into that. So basically, in Germany, we have two types of health insurance: is a public and state, mm-hmm. and uh, for state uh, for public uh, sorry, not public, private and state. And for private patients, there is no regulations. Basically, uh, the, we could sell to to state uh, to private uh, doctors right away. Mm-hmm. Oh, so we're talking about doctors specifically now. Exactly. I mean, these are the guys who bill you for the service that they do, right? Mm -hmm. And the question is, do they bill you? Do they bill the health insurance? The health insurance directly? Do they bill the KV, which is basically a mediator between Mm -hmm. health insurances and them? There is sometimes direct contracts with health insurances that they use as well. Um, What do they use as the basis for their billing? So, is there ciphers that they use? Are they just going to estimate on a time basis? Mm -hmm. That depends on the country. But things like practice organization, analytics, booking, all of these things are the same among everywhere else. The the structure of the health record is pretty much the same everywhere. Um, the only thing we need to tweak is billing. And it's from the language? Well, yes, but that's the easiest one. <laughs> is it? I, I'm, I'm not trying to, no. No, th- no, th- no, th- it's actually, yes. If, if the system is built, uh, multi-language what we do obviously since we have an international team so we develop it in English. Okay. Um, and then we translate it to German and translate it to another language.
1: But whenever someone types in something specifically health related do you have someone to humanely vet it or will it be automatic translation?
0: No. So basically how doctors work is ICD-10 codes. So there are international codes for diseases.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: okay. Which are, as it says, international. Uh, Can they recognize they, any doctor, be it in Africa? They're, they're used everywhere. So basically the way um, they're used, they have like a um, JO3.9, which is for tonsillitis, for example, um, is same in Germany as, in, uh, as it is in Spain or in Portugal, for mm-hmm. example. Um, the only thing that obviously in our system at the moment is different is that we have them with the German explanation. So it actually then says tonsillitis, acute, blah, 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 uh, not further defined in German. But this is something, it's just a database that you import, which is universally accessible. Um, and is, Sorry to interrupt, but is, is this going to be in an app format, or is it going to be
1: web app, or it going to be, once again, a holistic approach?
0: No, so basically it's gonna be a platform later on. Right now, uh, we had, we initially it was gonna be web app, but you run into a couple of problems with it. Number one is how do you connect devices to it, so for example a card reader or an x-ray machine, how do you connect it to the cloud? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a little bit difficult. And then uh, the next one is that the German government for their state billing requires true end-to-end encryption, so the the, the billing record needs to be encrypted on the device of the user. Um, And you can't do that if you're cloud-based. So we decided to do a, a little bit of a pivot and create um, um, uh, a basic program running on, on, uh, on, on Windows, since 95% of the, of the industry uses Windows. Mm-hmm. Um, but we build it in a way we're using microservices that we can very easily switch it to a cloud version. Which Whenever be, the, the, the market is... No, we, we'll probably do it very soon. So okay. we get this product accredited now, which will be for the billing purposes, and then we let people document with the same product but in a cloud version. Um, but then if they want to send the building to the state, they have to do it from that one local computer. Interesting. Uh,
1: in terms of business development, how do you, so your company has to both sell to health insurances and hospitals or no. health practitioners?
0: No. What What's we your... do is we sell the practices. So it's a to c um, business model. So you so go to the
1: orthodontist. Uh, and
0: we focus on GPs in a moment because they have the highest GPs, GPs uh, general practitioners. Okay. Um, which is um, house like family doctors, doctors. Exactly, family doctors, house ads, they're like house doctors, I guess. Um, uh, because they have the biggest uh, spread, where they're the highest uh, density of doctors, basically within Germany. Um, So of the 150,000 doctors clinics that are within Germany, 40,000 of them are GPs. The rest is among the other specialties.
1: so, and that's for now, and is it the idea, I assume that the idea is to
0: eventually keep scaling up for other? Absolutely, so basically you can um, use the system to, in a a surgical practice, uh, Mm a a pediatrician or a gynecologist, but we kind of uh, want to, give them, since we're a very process-based mm-hmm. approach, so we want to optimize the process within the clinic, this is one of the things that all the other tools are missing, is we want to analyze the processes within these clinics and then give them solutions specifically tailored for, uh, for their clinic. So, so you so, have a product and you also do this, the consultancy side. No, 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 the, the, the product is the solution, but I don't want to sell a gynecology, a product that was designed for a GP in a process flow. Because for example, you have the mother's book, um, or for a pediatrician, you have uh, certain curves that need to see for children. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to have all of these things in um, before I sell it to them. Because otherwise, they just start working in two different systems one is paper because they have the the, the, the Mutterschaftsbuch it's called it's like (laughs) it's like a book for uh, what did you get after you gave birth Mm -hmm. to track the growth of your kid to track um, the shots that your kid got and so on and so forth okay Um, and you always keep it with you when you go to uh, go to a pediatrician or a gynecologist Um, so this needs to be digitized as well um, among other things obviously Uh,
1: this last question I'm going to have you before we go on to the to the um, to the fire rounds, it's something that I've heard a lot of people from the non-entrepreneur, non-business side ask, or feel like they're at at, at, a, at a disadvantage, because I assume you don't have. I assume you don't have a tech background. No, not at all. But you keep finding yourself in tech tech related ventures. Uh, Zara, I assume you said it's something on e-commerce or something. Yeah, but
0: there I did pure sales. Empower, even though it's sales, it's some tech thing? I mean, it's Salesforce, um, but yeah, there was a, a basically a business analyst, more or less, an mm-hmm. administrator, so a hands on consultant, full on implementing Salesforce, which is easier than most people know. It's point and click in most of the times, so no code writing required, but you can do a lot of customization within the platform, but obviously it gives you a little bit of an understanding of how mm-hmm. technology works. And now on Dr. Lee.
1: It's a little bit more. Are you? You assume you still have a very non-tech approach, or but even though the product is very techy... Absolutely. I don't. From what we were saying, I assume that your day-to-day operation as COO is not necessarily.
0: It's not technical, no. It's basically what I do is uh, I currently act as a product owner, mm-hmm. um, so I coordinate the design work. I coordinate the sprints for our. Um, for our development team, mm-hmm. I make sure that they understand the requirements that we have from the state. I make sure they understand the requirements that we design in the process flow, um, and then obviously, obviously, take off the, like, check off the tickets once they've been implemented. Um, but from a technical perspective, in that part, I'm not really involved. Other than, I mean, uh, somebody who understands a little bit about technology will do. Like every younger person who's Worked in a, a little bit
1: of a tech orientation. So for someone who's out there considering creating their own tech venture, the creating a startup, and listens to this episode and says and he listens all the way through this part and says, This guy has no tech background, how the hell does he keep finding himself, even though some more sales positions, how the hell keep he found himself in a very niche reg techs health startup tech world? How do you manage have you? Ever, do you feel that not having a tech background ever put you at an at a
0: disadvantage? Oh, definitely, absolutely. If I could restructure my my CV, I wouldn't have studied business administration. So I would have. I would have definitely studied computer science.
1: Really? Absolutely. Do you still think that not having that tech, ba- tech background nowadays, it's harming you, or do you think that with the experience that you've ma- managed to get all over these years? Have made you feel like even though you don't have a tech background, you can enter in the job space or in the career space of tech without
0: feeling like you're
1: on a unfit. very
0: high level. A very high level. Um, I mean, if I, especially if I read through some of the requirements on how to treat data, how to treat data, like what, what information to take away from a database, uh, technical documentations is very difficult for me to read. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, yeah, and so yeah, definitely, definitely puts me at a at a a slight disadvantage, um, which, yeah, I mean, could be overcome, but uh, I think as a CEO or as an operationally focused person, um, in the long run, it'll become less important, Mm -hmm. and actually, the way the business is run is more important. Okay. So,
1: thank you for that, by the way, and because. As a non tech person myself, I always feel like if I had studied programming or if I knew something more about it, I I knew I
0: could be more plug and play everywhere. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely where it's going. Like, if there's anybody listening and thinking about what you should do with this live, and if you're generally uh, like a a person that's awake and conscious, uh, definitely go into some of the the computer direction because it, it just opens so many doors and business administration, the way. At least it uh, was taught at my university, which wasn't a very bad one, um, self-explanatory. All that they tried there was put you like into a position where you have to learn a lot in a very short period of time, and people then fail because it's too stressful for them. And then basically they send you through hell of a lot of fire, and if you make it on the other end, you've shown that you can take fire you've not learned anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the biggest problems nowadays with educational system. It's, we, we're being taught to be disposable. That's not necessarily what I, that's not necessarily what no, no, I meant. No, 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 I know that's not what you meant, but I think that not only that, but the fact that we're basically taught to be disposable. I, what, what I assume that what you said, and correct me if I'm wrong here, and I'm trying not trying to put words in you, it's that you have to do a lot of things in a small time, you get the experience of going through a lot of things, but applicable things in the real world—real uh, world—are not necessarily things that you come up from that. You just show that in the last five years, I managed to survive and do projects. And what can you do? I have these
0: projects. Yeah, I mean, you mean like a, in a in a in like a kind of rural sense, like in a survival sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, I do like hiking a lot and living outdoors, so I can do quite a lot in that perspective. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, but yeah, from a a business perspective, the main thing that you learn is how to work with people. That's the most important thing. Um, In a position uh, that I am in is how do you communicate with people? How do you understand them? How do you show them that you support them? Um, How do you connect with them? Uh, How do you motivate them? That is the, 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 the toughest thing uh, uh, that you can do and be authentic towards them, because otherwise you, you won't be able to ever lead a team if you're not authentic. If you put on this professional mask, then um, no, people won't believe you. Uh, it has a lot to do with, the, with, the, with natural leadership, definitely. I mean, if you're interested in, uh, in education, check out, uh, what's his name, Sir Ken Robinson. Uh, he's, he's already a bit, uh, bit older, sir. Like, Ken, like Mr. The, sir? Exactly, like the, like he's a knight. Mm-hmm. That's why. Uh, Ken Robinson. Ken Robinson? Exactly. Um, he's, uh, he's had a, a TED talk. Uh, he published it when I was uh, still in university. And it inspired me a lot. Because uh, he talks about the flaws of our educational system. I'll, I'll,
1: I'll take a look at it for sure. Uh, very cool. So going on to the fire rounds, as you know, I'll ask you one question. One of these questions, two questions actually. I have just introduced today on my way here. All right. Um, but I ask you one question. You have one minute to answer. Okay. One word or a sentence? one minute. You so can. So I can put as many words as many words word. as you want during one minute. All right, cool. If you're a quick talker, that you don't <laughs> seem like you're a slow talker. At least I know that you can add a lot of value here. So first, the first question is depending on this. On this first question, this is one answer. Are you a big book giver? no okay not. so the question will be what's the main book that's influenced you the most
0: um so uh, one of the books that I really loved was by Noah Gordon uh, called Medicus um Can which you, uh, Noah Noah Gordon Gordon uh, Medicus which is uh, I think was a uh, a book that inspired me when I was young uh, I think I read it twice or three times um and from, a, from like a wow perspective, I mean, I like that book. I really liked uh, Touching the Void, Um, was a, a very good book as well, by John Krakow. Okay.
1: Uh, what's one tool you wouldn't be able to live without right now?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want uh, hardware or software. Whatever. One tool I wouldn't be able to live without is probably Asana. Asana? Uh, Yeah, I'm a little bit addicted to it. (laughs) Uh, uh, One of the books that I thought was great as well was Getting Things Done. Mm -hmm. Um, GTD. uh, Exactly. Uh, um, What's his name? David. David Allen. Allen, exactly, by David Allen. Um, It's a great book, and it... uh, I'm a very structured person, I'd say. so uh, that helped me actually put the things that I wanted to structure in a kind of format that I wanted them to structure in. Um, and Asana is helping me quite a lot because like every time I have a thought, I just put it in there. Uh, so it gives me a free space to, to in my head to actually think and not like store information there, use any of the capacity for storing. Um, so you have to have a system that you trust and currently that's Asana so like you know like making laundry doing my like tax returns uh, you have everything uh, there you have your whole uh, everything there. I do like if I if I think I should go shopping today I just put in the shopping list uh, if I uh, have to talk to one of my co-founders regarding the business plan if I come across a requirement mm-hmm. that I haven't anticipated I need to read more I put that in there if I remember in six months I need to give an update to this person again I put that in there and let it pop up in six months mm-hmm. so currently there's a lot of information in there so that would go away
1: you would you would feel it I'd yeah I'd, sound like I'd, have problem, yes. <laughs> I'd have a little bit of a problem yes I'd have a little bit of a problem okay tell me something you've changed your opinion in the last six months
0: um, the is it's not so much a change of opinion but it's something that really brought it to me again is the importance of of uh, of really like unconditional, uh, love and, 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 trust. You can have even among friends. Um, so one of my current co-founders is somebody who I got to know through Empower and he's one of the person I trust the most at the moment. Mm-hmm. cause I know like what, whatever I give him, he can somehow handle it. And, and we have a very, very good relationship with each other. Um, so for him, I'm, 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 I'm like super duper grateful. Um, so this is something where just two weeks ago we were sitting here on a Saturday together, the two of us. And I was like, holy shit, I'm just so fucking lucky that I had this guy. Um, so that was a, that was a very good thing, and then I changed my opinion, Vegemite. I quite like it now. <laughs> Vegemite. <laughs> I had it with, uh, with avocado the other day, uh, and that was actually not that bad. And that was quite good. Okay. Um, if
1: you are just finished uh, we already talked about it so I don't need to ask this question we're going to ask if you're just finishing college what would you do probably focus you already said probably do something in terms of
0: computer programming yeah definitely as a basis to have a basic understanding of how that works Uh,
1: do you have a life motto or is there any quote that you like to think about or live by
0: it's very interesting because uh, I once did a session with uh, some people at Empower of actually defining your life's vision Mm -hmm. or your life's goal and I found it incredibly difficult to come up with something. But I think the words that kind of stuck to it is, 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 as we talked about about it is, is satisfaction. as mm-hmm. being satisfied with what you do. And I really like or I really see by my purpose in life to help people find this kind of satisfaction. Um, and a business is a very inspiring place to do that mm-hmm. because of the personal growth. Because you push yourself to places where you are, through your growth, become very motivated, and you see the the, the distance that you've walked, and the and the, the the changes that you've made to your own personality and to your own um, like consciousness, mm-hmm. and that is something that I, I really really enjoy, like going back to to this uh, co-founder of mine now seeing how he has developed over the last four years that we've spent together is mind-blowing
1: great tell me the worst advice you've
0: ever received (laughs) (laughs) the worst advice I have ever received oof I, I don't I don't remember it specifically, mm-hmm. but I remember when I was just finishing high school, um, I was uh, I was sitting at my my home and I was no I was I was coming back because after high school I went on a backpacking trip for nine months um, just traveling the world, and then I came back and I was super torn because I went to a, like a business school as high school so it was focused on business. And then I was like, okay, am I gonna study business administrations, or am I gonna go study medicine? Hmm. And I was, that, that was the two paths, and I could see myself being in both. And I was very passionate about both. And uh, I remember that um, uh, I'm not gonna name their names, but uh, the, the 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 parents of a friend came by, and I was just sitting there. And I was like, literally, like, like sitting there, and like, oh, what the fuck am I gonna do? Am I gonna do this or am I gonna do this? And they came in to help me, but there were, like, everything they said This was so plain uninspiring in either way that I was like, what the fuck are you guys doing here? There were teachers, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) and I was like, I was like, like, yeah, you you guys don't help me at all with the struggle that I'm in. Um, There's, like, no advice I can take out of this, Uh, and yeah. I don't remember, I don't think they came to either conclusion or they, they did anything. And I think giving no advice is actually worse than, than, than <laughs> giving a bad advice. It's some, sometimes it was at least a bad advice if you notice that it, uh, it, it changes it. Like it makes you at least think about the problem.
1: Okay, well, this is starting to get to the end of the interview. So two things. If someone wants to talk with you, where can they reach you? Um, Shoot me mail through uh, nicholas at uh, at doctorly.de So nicholas n-i-c-k-l-i-a-s That's correct at doctorly.de Exactly like the the word doctorly (laughs) Okay so as a parting piece of guidance is there anything that you'd like to give a message that you'd like to give to the listeners of the Pioneer Show?
0: Um, I think the most important part is uh, be reflective of what you do, always. Don't hesitate to put yourself in uncomfortable positions. This is the, the major lesson that, that, uh, that you learn throughout your life is putting yourself into uncomfortable positions is gonna make you grow. And that's the, the fastest way, the most efficient way you can do it, um, and uh, only through growth you can be motivated and, uh, and yeah, just
1: live your life in happiness. Well, thank you very much for your time, Nicholas. It was a great conversation. I really truly enjoyed it and I think this is my record in terms of time. I didn't I only like two seconds ago I noticed that the light literally almost went out. And this is in Berlin. It's usually very late. I know that we had some technical difficulties here, but I truly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much for taking the Andre, time. It was my pleasure. Thank you very no, much. No, no, it was my pleasure. <laughs> well, have a great time. Thank you so much for plugging into this episode I truly hope you love this conversation As much as I did Me and Nicholas sure had a great conversation And I truly truly enjoyed every second Of this conversation, every moment that I spent Editing and every time That I've been with Nicholas since then I can't stress enough how much I enjoyed Talking with Nicholas The Empower ecosystem is incredible And Nicholas is of course awesome as well I can't stop thinking about the idea of holacracy and I really want to read more about it and figure out if I can learn how to apply on other ideas I might have for the future. Dr. Lee has a great mission and like in every person that we've had on the show so far, I hope to see it reach bigger heights than they ever imagined. Any information that you might've missed, will probably be linked up in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, consider subscribing to make sure that this podcast grows and we can get to more people and help everyone be the pioneers of their lives and careers. A big thank you to Niklas Taiki for his time and to DJ Rodia or Thibaut Flondlin for the music of The Pioneers Show. Once again, it was really, really, really a great pleasure having you over there. Have a great time. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.